Hey everybody, just wanted to take a few minutes here at the top before we get rolling to let you know that while we are still in the midst of the actor's strike, this interview with Chase Masterson was recorded on June 22nd, 2023 from Trekfest in Riverside, Iowa. So without further ado, enjoy. Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Queege. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beat me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order and occasionally interviewing franchise alum for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian Mr. Todd A. Davis. You've seen her in film and television. You've heard her in animation and video games. She's everyone's favorite Dabo girl. It's Chase Masterson. Yay! Hi, Todd. I am wonderful. How are you? I'm well. Excited to be on your show. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for uh, coming to Trekfest. Are you uh, stoked about, about Trekfest? I am so stoked about Trekfest. I've wanted to come here for so long and I'm so proud yeah. and excited to be your guest. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you today. First of all, you look absolutely lovely. Huh. This this dress is just a ray of light. Thank and- <laughs> you. I appreciate that. And you are just beaming as soon as you walk through the door. It's like, yep, there she is. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, I love this place already. I mean, there's such sweet, lovely, Midwest, small town energy, and mm. it's just so so captivating. I can already tell anybody who hasn't been to the Riverside, Iowa Historical Center yes. must come here. Yes. let's it's let's just lovely. Let's pull the curtain back just a little bit for the listeners. Uh, we are not in a, a normal recording scenario. We oh, are yes. actually recording from the historical uh, center here in Riverside, which is chock full of st- Star Trek stuff, but also historical stuff about the town and the surrounding area. Yeah. And we are actually sitting in an old booth that was in a dance hall. I love that. It's 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 almost a hundred years old, this booth, and this is so wonderful. This whole experience already is just top notch. It really is so lovely. History is something that we can't take for granted, really. And yeah. the fact that it's like you have these really beautiful classic antique things that honor the past and also that we're celebrating the future birthplace of Captain Kirk. And that's so interesting about Star Trek when you get into it is is so much of it is based on history but now at this point we're we're staring down the barrel of like 60 years of this franchise, which 60 years is leaning on its own history and creating new history. Yes. Um, Yes. So creating new history and and last night we were thinking about how long it will be until Captain Kirk is born. It's only 204 years. It's, it? it's practically and right it, around the corner. You know, we think of Star Trek <laughs> as the distant, distant future. And it really is, in, the, in, the, in terms of, of human history, it's, it's a dot. It's a glimpse of, of time. Yeah. And how interesting that that was Roddenberry's 
hope for the future in such a relatively short period of time. Yes, yeah. I'm sure in the 60s it sounded a lot further away, mm. but it's not. Even even the changes made from the, you know, the pilot episode The Cage to that first episode with the crew that we all know. Yeah. There were so many things going on behind the scenes, stuff with Lucille Ball and yeah. the production of television at that time. Yeah. Like, hey, you can't have you can't have a woman on the bridge. You can't have this person or that person. Right. And Ron Berry go, oh, okay, I hear you. And then was just like, screw you guys. Yeah. I'm going to put it. Thanks. A, Thanks yeah. for weighing in. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I hear you. We're going to go in this direction. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I will just say now one of our hosts is Jenny, who is a pilot yes. for American Airlines. And how wonderful is that? That yes. we have this Star Trek history almost in, in a sense to to thank for that boost in women's rights and abilities and just to celebrate yes. that, that equality. Here in the museum, they actually have a section of the women in Trek. And you think, oh, yeah, and you rattle off the ones that you know off the top of your head. Then you start reading. It's like, oh, Susan Oliver, who was in the pilot episode, who broke so many barriers for women in television. And she was a pilot. Yes, Susan and, and another Oliver pilot. was a pilot. Yes. And she also was a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. And a babe. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to say it, but... Quite for, a looker. For a woman who could have just relied on her looks, and so many did, mm. for her to have been such an incredibly diverse and capable and um, skilled. I mean, she developed skill and worked hard at it yes. and probably also did not take any no's for an answer. Bingo. And um, she could have just ridden on everything that she was externally. Yes. It's so inspiring. There's there's a wonderful documentary out there called The Green Girl, and it's yes. all about Susan Oliver. I was yes. like, oh, this is going to be mostly Star Trek stuff. No, it, that's a blip in this documentary, and I, I had no idea, and yeah. it dove so deep. Uh, if anybody yeah. is out there listening, seek out the documentary, The Green Girl, is a fantastic look yes. at the life of Susan Oliver. Yeah. But even getting into like D.C. Fontana and yeah. all the things that she wrote. Yes. Quite literally wrote the book of right. Star Trek. Right. Um, and, and, and back to Lucille Ball. Did you know, I didn't know this until recently, that until the 80s, women were not allowed to have their own checking account or savings account. A woman, in order to have an account, had to also have a man's name on it. Until the 1980s, what? or maybe it was the late 70s, but it was. I'm seeing nods from wow. some from people in in this room. It's phenomenal that it was so dark ages not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. so for for Roddenberry's hopes to have been so advanced for us as a species, and so hopeful in such a positive, beautiful way and and i'm sorry to go on about it but no 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 I, but i'm I've just I'm, I'm keeping my eye on the time well thank you no i, I will th- i will talk about this stuff as long as you want or any of it really uh, um you know for, I, I don't want to get dark here but for roddenberry to have written all of that 25 years after the holocaust ended now 25 years for us is like y2k almost yeah it you know that is a blip yeah. in time and i'm sure he you know, and his family members re- remembered that period and, yeah. and not long before that, the Depression. So when you look at the scan of history, it's beautiful that Roddenberry was hopeful, frankly, at all in the midst of the civil rights movement, but that he had such hope in the midst of what we had been through as a country mm-hmm. and we're still going through. Like, wow, what an amazing thing he did. Yeah. 
and really, I, I was talking to somebody here in the museum earlier, science fiction being that uh, cautionary tale of like being able to discuss these issues, which they did wonderfully in the original series. Yeah. Of discussion, discussing the issues of the day, but through the lens of science fiction, where it's easier to kind of look at it more objectively because we're talking about aliens and space and all that stuff. Yeah. But then once you start peeling it back and you, you know, you start thinking about these things, it's like, oh, we're talking about aliens, are we? We're talking about people in this real world that are going through oh, of these course, things. Yeah. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And still to this day, Absolutely. you know, even with the stuff that's happening with New Trek on Discovery and the diversity in front of and behind the camera, it's just Star Trek has continued to bloom. And I'm so excited because it hasn't stagnated. Like it's yes. it's continued I, to move forward and change I, formats and bring all these wonderful people in. Yes. I can go on and on. Oh, I could too. I mean, <laughs> just to excite new generations too, uh, frankly, about about this legacy and about these stories and also about how these stories play out in real life. Yeah. Um, I was talking actually with uh, Kevin Hageman uh, the other night. Uh, we were at a show that Bonnie Gordon did. And she's so lovely. And she's been on the show twice, actually. On this show? Yeah. Oh, wow. She's okay. Yeah. Hi, Bonnie. And uh, hi, Kevin. And we're, we're talking about how Prodigy, you know, for an animated show that's really rollicking and at face value, it, it's just, you know, it's this fun, fun animated show, but they've got such an incredible lessons embedded yeah. in it. And such, you know, I, I think Kevin said, I start out watching a, an animated show and I end up in tears. Because the heart of this show always comes through <laughs> with good writing. Yes. And, and thankfully, and obviously Kevin and his brother are incredible writers. And, and this show has a legacy of extremely powerful writers. Yes. And that's, that's one thing as, um, you know, the small bit of writing I've done myself, I end up looking to these people who, A, coming into this existing franchise, like even just from a franchise aspect almost 60 years, like finding a story to fit in there somewhere while talking about social issues and yeah. pulling at the heartstrings. Yeah. That is no small feat. No small feat. Oh, uh, so let's, let's dive into you a little bit. I wanted to, I saw that you went to the university of Texas. What did you study? Thank you. I studied acting Yeah. and I had been acting since I was five years old. My mother was a theater director. And so I grew up in the art of this business and I had only ever wanted to be an actress and I had worked, I just had worked really hard uh, on it in the community and regional theater all the time I was growing up. Did you have a particular piece that was your favorite or one that sticks out in your mind of like, that's it? Wow. Um, that's such a great question. It's always so hard to, to, um, yeah, I, I, for like drama and theater geeks, that's a tough one. <laughs> it really is because they're all so close to your heart in different ways. I did the lead, Sally Bowles and Cabaret. Oh, um, yes, which was directed by, by Ann Bergeron, who's a, a fantastic director. And I really love that for the same reasons we're discussing. A lot of people see it as a musical, as fun. And we remember, you know, obviously the brilliant Joel Grey and, of course, Liza Minnelli and whoever you've seen do it in theater. And we're talking about the most important issues a human can discuss, mm-hmm. whether or not we, re- we remain silent and complicit, it's and whether one. or not we stand up in the face of impending um, 
decimation. Hi, it's Chase Masterson. <laughs> nice talking with you. Um, it, it's you know, it's such important stuff. And and the, if the theater is something that all of us who have ever done theater. Mm-hmm. We all say that it's our first love and our biggest love because the camaraderie, the messages, and the fact that it can be so impactful for the audience and you feel it in the moment. When you're there in front of people and the audience is all in the dark, sitting in one direction, facing the same place, and we have access to their minds and hearts, there's nothing more powerful than that, whether it's storytelling in theater or music it's just you know or or film and tv particularly television because we're right there in your living room yes that's that's the thing is a lot of people don't understand uh, you know there's so many streaming services out there nowadays so you have access to all of it but there Mm -hmm. was a time where television was not viewed as highly as film but then that shifted you know where people started to realize that the television stars had more, had a bigger, more passionate fan base because (laughs) you're inviting them into your home. Like for theater, you're going to a theater. That's true. They're both powerful. I didn't mean more powerful for for anything. It is an exploration. And yes, for the theater, you go there and it's an event and it's purposeful in that way. For television, it's purposeful in that you invite us into the intimacy of your living room. Yeah. And, you know, you're there in your pajamas with no, uh, well, frankly, I, I don't know what, if you're wearing your pajamas, but... Um, Chase, I, I am so. not about to discuss I how, so. I, how okay. I watch television. I, I mean, frankly, okay, good. All right, all right. TMI. Um, but, but, you know, you're there at your most relaxed and vulnerable, in your most uh, intimate circumstances, pretty much. And, and here we are. And that is a big deal. And not to be taken for granted on any level i mean the fact that we're here that i'm here 24 years later after the show wrapped never mind when we began <laughs> and just wow thank you yeah with all my heart thank you for being a part of this amazing pop culture but reflection of the human experience yes. over the last almost 60 years and it's so beautifully said Todd. thank you i appreciate that um i I was in um, a musical in high school. I was uh, Judd Fry in Oklahoma. I was the bad guy. Oh my gosh. Yes. Poor Judd is dead. (laughs) Poor Judd is dead. Oh. I got hired because of this eyebrow. Oh, that's a good eyebrow. Thank you. Oh, I wish you all could see this eyebrow. (laughs) Okay. You've got to be able to, you got to find a... a, a You know what? When we're done recording, let's take a picture and I'll do the eyebrow. Okay, good. It's on... I I don't want to say that my eyebrow is on par with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but it's pretty oh, close. Oh, that's true. He does easy. have a good eyebrow. He's got a great eyebrow. I think MTV should do the best eyebrow in the <laughs> right? They do everything else. It's, it's yeah, time. The yeah. eyebrow had its own moment. MTV brows. Yes. And people are going to go, bros? No, 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 no. No, no. no. Brows. 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 <laughs> I have a brow. That's a good brow. Is it? Yeah. It's always hard to tell. Can you go time. can you go other side? Are no. can you are you ambi brow? No, no, no. I'm just <laughs> just I'm the just one. Lefty, yeah, yeah. You know what? Lefty brow's a good brow. <laughs> okay, yes, you're um, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right, we'll work that out, bro. bro. So <laughs> So, um I see one of your early uh credits. Uh you did some time in the soaps, General Hospital. Ooh. I recently Don't We all. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. It's and I'll, again, that's another great slice work. of yep. of 
really tough work. It is. It's really tough work. Um, yeah. Can you take us through your experience day to day on a soap? I had a lovely time. I was on General Hospital um, in two different roles, years apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second time I recurred, and I really had a great experience with the cast. They were so lovely and welcoming. Um, this was, you know, quite a while back, but sure, sure. they were just lovely to me. And you, you don't have to be, you know, you can just keep doing your job and here she is, she's in for a day and she'll be in for a day in a couple weeks. And, you know, I mean, that is lovely and generous of any actor to be this way. And, and I had a great time on the show. Yeah. It seems like for, it seems like you're really, I feel like it's, um, it's an actor's boot camp because it's like, yeah. Hey, yeah. You report in, memorize the lines, go to lunch, come back, hair and makeup, and then we shoot. And it's everything. I was recently talking with somebody on a plane, actually, about the differences between single camera and multi-camera. And I made the comparison to soap operas. He goes, yeah, they look weird. I was like, they don't look weird. They look specific because the whole thing is lit for everyone. Ah, right. Because you've got multiple cameras running at one time. He's like, what's the benefit? Well, we went into the... Well, when you do an episode a day and it takes everyone else eight to 14 days. At least, yeah. To do an episode. Uh, Yeah, that's, it's fast. It's weird to think that if you shoot an episode in a week, that's considered almost a breakneck pace yeah. nowadays. But like oh, soaps, it's it's yeah. move, move, yeah. move. And for those actors, you got to have your chops. Yeah. You have got to be able to learn a play every day. Exactly. I mean, it's still 42 minutes, but it's still a, yeah. it's a lot. And, that is a lot. And uh, yeah, huge respect for the guys that do that every day. And to talk about, uh, you know, things with decades of longevity, these soaps have been running for decades yeah. and like long long yeah. times with these yeah. continuous stories and yeah. now you get actors in and out and storylines you know shift here and there but like it's still yeah it's still the same story yeah. still running absolutely oh, yeah it's, it's a lot of work and at the same time we're not carrying bricks on our head it's not like the hardest right. work ever <laughs> and you know i marvel at how much actors get acclaimed for their work well everyday ordinary jobs don't and and i just always have to say you know, the people who built this place, the people who built our sets, the people who do the catering, the people who cater and have run their own restaurants or even work at the window at McDonald's. I mean, this is, I don't ever want to elevate acting as, as harder work than anything else. Because right. it's, uh, it's, it's the, the thing that acting is, and this is a segue, um, a friend of mine who was a beautiful coach said, it's not about who's the best actor, it's about who's the bravest Oh, that's neat. And like and if that. you frame it in that way, mm-hmm. it that's where the where the work is, you know. Yeah. And and our um, I think our 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 challenge as humans is always to be the brave, to be brave. not to be the bravest, but to be brave, you know, because it's difficult to think about uh, hard issues. It's difficult to get involved in hard issues. You know, there's enough in life. Yeah. You know. Like, I barely have time to do my laundry. What am I going to go campaign for this or that? You know, and yet that's how we make the world better. So, um, I don't know. That's thoughts. No, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And we're here for them. You know, you talk about being brave. And there's so many shows and films out there that talk about the notion of what real courage is. Yeah. And I think, well, I have to shed all this fear to be courageous. Yeah. And it's... It's more of an embracing and dealing with and reshaping of it 
and doing what you have to in spite of fear. Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, with acting in quite literally, you're imitating life. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of connections to be made there about being brave and overcoming those fears and really getting into what makes people brave as a former law enforcement officer. Oh boy. Like, yeah, I, I should be interviewing you. It's a, it's a very sad, dark tale. Oh goodness. (laughs) But you know, being able to do what you need to do in spite of, and you know, uh, you know, for military, for, you know, uh, law enforcement, for fire, having to set the idea of, I just want to go home. Yeah. Having to set it down. Yeah. And do the job. Yeah. And all of those things. Again, now my thoughts are pouring out as well. (laughs) No, it's a lot. But I think this is, frankly, what Roddenberry would want us to be talking about. Yeah. This is the heart of of this show. Yeah, absolutely. All of these issues. So, uh, shifting a little bit to a a more lighter topic. (laughs) Sorry. You can always count on me. No, hey, that's okay. Get to the, yeah. This is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It's a St. Davo, honey. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You had a small part in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Mm. And I, w- I wanted to ask, oh. as, a, as a comedian and a fan of comedy and student of comedy, Mel Brooks Mel. as a director. Oh my gosh. So this is one of my favorite stories. So Mel Brooks um, it, it, it is so lovely and he was so lovely to me. And do you want to hear the, show, the story I want to, about how I got the job? I want to hear all of it. Okay. So, <laughs> so I get this call from my agent. They're doing an open call for Robin Hood Men in Tights. And so you go, I went in, like, with 100 other actors in the waiting room. And Mel Brooks was in the room auditioning, like, talking with people. But he just was, like, meeting people. And it was, yeah. well, let me just get a sense of some actors. Yeah. As if Mel Brooks needed to. But there he was. And we had a great little time. I don't know. We were joking around or something. I, I Somehow I, we caught each other's hearts. And, and so I got cast as um, um, Lady Godiva. And so I was so excited about this. I was a new actor. I'd not done much yet. And then I got the call not long later that they were going to take out the role, they're canceling the role, and um, sorry we're writing it out, but we're going to look for something else for you. And I was like, oh, that's the kiss of death. They're gonna, we're going to look for something else for you. Oh. I was like, I have got to be in this movie. How do I be in this movie? Make Mel Brooks laugh. Yep. So I thought, okay, got to do something radical. I got this scroll, and I wrote on it in calligraphy. My sister helped me, and it was like this beautiful like Robin Hoodie scroll, and we got like dowels from Home Depot and tassels from the fabric store and we wrote on it in big letters there once was an actress named Chase who had a quite pliable face lead supporting or bit she was a sure hit Mr. Brooks you must find me a place that is brilliant thank you well he did and I got cast opposite um, Richard Lewis, who was the king, and yes. uh, the king with the moving mole. Yeah, yes. And, um, it Another was a, comedy legend. It was, thank you. It was a much bigger role than it was when in the, in the final cut, but that's the rest of the great story. So here we are at the premiere. Mm-hmm. We're at Kate Mantellini's this restaurant. Mm-hmm. And um, so Mel, I see him from across the room, like 30 feet away. He sees me, and he scurries over to me saying, Boobala, boobala, there's good news and there's bad news. And I said, okay, well, what's the good news? Uh, tell, play it on me, Mel. And he said, good news is you're in the movie. Bad news is you got you got cut out mostly. Good news again, I left you in just a little bit so you could get paid. 
What a mensch. What a mensch. <laughs> and I get residuals like to this day. And sometimes they're four cents and sometimes they're more. And God As someone bless. who watches Robin Hood Men in Tights regularly, oh. you're welcome. But, well, <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad I know who to thank. Um, yeah, that was, I knew there was one out there. Um, I mean, just what a mensch. Like what yeah. an incredible man. And yeah. in so many ways. And, and when you look at the history of his work, he's always just had this incredible balance of entertainment and, and messaging. And isn't that what we're here for? Yeah. Just change the face of entertainment, that man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the world of comedy is such a, it's such an interesting one because it's another thing that comedy has kind of a short shelf life. Yeah. In that, like, comedy is so about the moment. Well, yes. Things that are happening. Yes. So to find something that has, to find something in comedy that has longevity. Yes. Yes. Well, if I can jump in, he told yeah. me that's why I got cut because I, I uh, there was banter with Richard Lewis about him being a fresh prince. And they thought, well, that's not going to last because French fresh prince of Bel Air is not, people are not going to remember that. Of course, nobody knew that. Will Smith was going to be a huge star forever, right? Um, uh, on whatever level. That's a that's a different that's a different podcast. There's too much to say. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to say there, but um, um, really, the um, yeah, I, I've got lost here, but no, that's okay. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, looking at again, looking at his filmography, it's one of these things that's kind of stood the test of time it has and then it was a different world then and there are some things here and there sure um and 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 i'm glad that we have grown up some as a society right and we need to keep growing and you know and there's a lot you know again the parallels with star trek of like there's a couple things in the original series that are a little bit cringy you know and as things have gone on it's just kind of like oh it's not that way anymore or even even stuff as as more recent as enterprise in the early 2000s, just after 9-11, that show watches very differently today, 20, yeah. 23 years later. Yeah. It's it's really interesting to see all that stuff. So let's move on. Um, you you did some time on ER getting into the single camera, the single camera yeah. procedurals. Yeah. And then not long after, Lita. Thank Deep, you. Deep Space Nine. Yeah, thank you. The ER was really something. Um, I almost didn't want to go in for that role because I had... A good booking ratio. This is yeah. so weird, but I, I at that point I had I'd gotten like eight out of ten jobs that I had auditioned for recently, and That's, I thought that is a good ratio. <laughs> thank you. And I didn't want to have it be like I, I just I didn't I don't know what was going on in my head. I was like, this is not right for me necessarily, but I'm going to go in because I don't want to ever turn anything down. Right. And I got the role, and not only that, um, it was the first uh, parent to ever lose a child on prime time. And I that. yeah, and it was the episode was watched by um, I think 49 million people, which made it the largest audience for an hour drama in history. Um, apparently, it was second only to uh, a, a, an episode of the Cosby Show uh, for for overall television audience, yeah. other than like. Um, uh, uh, Probably and like Ed Sullivan. Oh, Ed Sullivan. You yeah, know, I mean, that, yeah. but back when there were like you yeah. know, three channels or less. And, of course. <laughs> and so, um, anyway, and they showed my scene on the Emmys when the show was nominated for an Emmy, and they show you know they like use one episode for the nomination, and of course. our episode uh, ER won that year, and and so isn't it, isn't it interesting? You know, we we're talking a few minutes ago here about. Um, about being brave and sometimes being brave not that it was incredibly brave on any uh, level 
but sometimes doing the next right thing is all that you need to do. In fact, ever really, yeah. you know, yeah. you can never imagine like where something might take you, but showing up. In fact, Shatner has a book about saying yes. Mm-hmm. And it's all really so key to just the next right thing. It's a, it's frankly, it's a, um, it's a, credo of AA and I'm not afraid to say I've been sober for 16 years oh, congratulations. and thank you and um, it's the best thing I've ever done for myself yeah. and also it, it, that's that's kind of principles for all of us you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. so if there's anybody out there who's wondering what to do just think in your heart what's the next right thing you don't have to have the, right the next two three four five six you know it's good to have some sort of plan yeah but it's a good credo to to keep in your in your pocket. Just do the next right thing. Yeah, that's really that's really that's fantastic. Stitch it on a pillow. Like that, that's good advice. <laughs> I'll, in my in my copious spare time. I'll yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. So uh, you know, getting into Deep Space Nine and your your role, Lita. I I wanted to because again we mentioned this before we started to roll that you've answered these questions hundreds of times. It's okay. But I wanted to ask you something very specific in a handful of episodes. You were actually directed by former cast members. Yeah. And, and current I, cast members. Yes. Yes, very much. Um, you know, LeVar Burton, uh, Michael Dorn, yeah. Avery Brooks, yeah. others. That's it. Uh, yeah. So uh, what is it like to be directed by somebody who's, I mean, y- you hear the term an actor's director. Um, yeah. But, you know, someone with such a specific yes. experience. Yes. What is it like to work under former cast members? It's so lovely. I loved it. I loved watching them. I loved getting to see them do this incredible uh, feat because directing television is like really hard. Yeah. And when you think about staying on time and and making sure you get every shot you need and the pressure and the, the, you know, network pressure and the amount of money that's involved. and, and, And actors have to really study and, and, you know, train to do that. Um, it's not something that's just given by a long shot. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really wonderful getting to see my friends get to fly in that way. And and that actually, that is the way that I met LeVar. And it was wonderful working for him. You know, his episodes really stick out to me a very, more, well, I say stick out. And it's more, more often than not, it seemed like he got the really character-centered episodes and i know roxanne dawson um oh yeah she's a lot of her stuff especially on enterprise watched like horror movies or or watched like thrillers oh yeah interesting yeah and so i was wondering if you kind of saw any of that in their uh in their time directing did you see any of their personal style come across in Either personal direction or like how they run a set and any of that. Did any of that stick out for you? Is like, oh, this feels like a LeVar set or this feels like an Avery Brooks set or something like that? Um, The one memory that really sticks out is on my first episode with LeVar, um, there were a a set, a team of a, a bunch of Buddhist monks that came by the set. Really? Yeah. Okay. And as quick as television has to go, LeVar stopped production and just talked with them and welcomed them to set and was so respectful and lovely and open and just lovely. And I, I remember those moments. And I I don't know. I mean, 
there's such a thing in this business, if I can equate that to anything general, it's you got to keep your heart about you, mm. you know, and, and you've got to, you know, you, you can trust, you got to trust that when you keep your heart about you, that you, you can stay on track, that everything else can fall in place, that yes. if you take the time, that, that it turns out to be worthwhile. And that's a lesson I have not always followed, and um, I think I think none of us have always followed that. And it's just it's yeah, that's truth. so important. Yeah, yeah. As, you know, looking at stuff where, you know, they I think they said it God. on the office of like, uh, I wish I wish you I wish you knew these were the the good times before they're over. Oh. And, you know, and yeah. just being able to appreciate yes all those things. Yes. And, uh, and that's something I often do say about DS9. It was a bit of a Camelot. We knew what we had when we had it. Mm-hmm. I have chills as I say that. We knew that we were making a show that was incredibly powerful, yeah. that was meaningful to countless people, that wasn't fully appreciated yet, um, that was on as a syndicated show at 2 o'clock in the morning in some markets, if you could even find it at all. Yeah. But in the fifth season ira said to us uh, if i think it was max and me we were just sitting there at a like on the side waiting for something and he said you know this show because of the way technology is going this show is going to be more popular in 20 years than it is now and we were like really and he said yes just watch and i was like i didn't even know what that meant because yeah. like i'm a person with technology i can barely check my email I mean, I <laughs> I know just enough to run this show, <laughs> right? I would never know, but but yes, and and so lo and behold, he's right. And DS Nine has had this resurgence of appreciation and welcoming in ways that it didn't then. I mean, there were there you know people going, "Oh, is it really even Star Trek?" Well, shut up, <laughs> you know. And and it's lovely to see that for yeah. for Iris' sake. And for the whole show's sake, but this this is a man who, his heart and soul, all of our writers' heart and soul were in this show so deeply. Yeah. And when you think of the talent there on our writing staff, to be able to create this show in the depth of drama, mm-hmm. the depth of loss and pain and risk, and risk is our business, but still, it, it, the, the incredible amount of heart and the incredible amount of comedy. I mean, there was quite a bit, you know, we, yeah. were, we ran the gamut to like, you know, Ducat losing his daughter to Quark as a woman. I mean, who, who does that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, um, wow. Yeah. These writers are amazingly uh, effective at both. And that's not something you can say of many people. Yeah. It's, it's even funny to think like, even in the wake of, New Trek with all with the you know the the five big shows of New Trek that DS Nine is really still kind of the outlier, but it's I, I hesitate to even call it an outlier. It's so it's so unique amongst the rest of Trek, and yeah, yeah, you know, he, yeah. Just to let just to let you know, yeah, I was on stage in LA earlier this year okay. and got heckled because I let it slip that I hadn't finished. Deep Space Nine yet. Okay. Somebody who was just... <laughs> the tides have turned, my dear. Yeah. Good. I now, where... Like... First of all, why have you not finished Deep Space Nine? <laughs> just kidding. And maybe you have a few other things in your life, like you were being a cop and things. Like yeah. That's yeah. a lot. It's, and um, it's not that it... 
and just just to to my defense, no, no, your no. honor, no. Um, I uh, and not that I didn't like it or anything. I really enjoyed it, but it was life life caught of up. Course, it was just kind of, of like, oh, okay. And then I started the show. I was like, you know what? Because I had the thought: do I go finish Deep Space Nine, or do I watch it for the first time? Well, because I mean, I made it into the last season, and for whatever reason, just. Didn't end up you, getting those last. Focus and time. You it, don't want to watch it like while you're doing the dishes. No, 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 no. It's not a white noise show. No, no, no. You want to, you want to pay attention. Yeah. Because like even the stuff, you know, we've got someone here at Trekfest who's who's doing the makeup for folks, ears and prosthetic pieces and yeah. the whole thing. John Paladin is amazing. Yeah. Looking at all of that stuff, every little detail mm-hmm. is worth examining and appreciating yeah and oh and so such an amazing uh amount of talent on the show in so many ways so what were you on stage for uh i was hosting an event and doing a little bit of stand-up and stuff like that and um i was asking the crowd you know favorite series favorite character yada 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 and you know we we got i got a little misty at one point um but i was uh talking about let me know when you come out yeah absolutely i will i will and um I, you know, someone mentioned Deep Space Nine and I was just like, oh, you know, again, and talking to the crowd really, it's like, oh, you know what? It's the one I haven't finished yet. And someone without missing a beat was, idiot. I was, Whoa. Oh, okay, okay. Hold on. Okay. All right. <laughs> we're, we're Trek fans here. We're supposed to be open and forgiving and welcoming. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Jeez. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Deep Space Nine, of course, was not your last thing in Trek. Yeah, you also ah. did you also did stuff on of Gods and Men. You did uh you did uh voice uh in the video game. Yeah. And uh I wanted to ask about the voiceover because I Star Trek Online was not your only thing that you've given your voice to. Ah, uh, thanks. Let's yeah. talk let's talk about voiceover. It thanks. seems to be such a unique aspect of entertainment. It's so fun. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. Uh, give us the rundown on voiceover work not just for you know star trek but like the stuff that you've done working with what's what's it like working working with a voice director and getting those unique pitches in your voice for different takes like what's that like well first of all if your voice partner if your person that you're working with is mark hamill then that's pretty wonderful to begin with um i did robotech with mark and um also i worked with him a couple times on uh one other time was he directed comic book the movie yes but thank you i digress um working with voiceover is just brilliant I, i it's so much fun because you get to be whoever you want to be. There's no holds barred. It's not mm-hmm. about how you look. Yeah. It's about what you can do and where you can pour your energy and how you can inhabit a creature or a person, it, how you want to. Your wildest dreams, the sky is not the limit. There's everything available to you. And I love the art for that, as well as the fact that you don't even have to wash your hair. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's great. So, um, voiceover, I started doing, uh, Robotech Shadow Chronicles was one of my first jobs in voiceover mm-hmm. with Mark and the other actors from classic Robotech. That is a fandom that is huge. Seems to be. And yeah. I'm, just, I'm so grateful to be part of the Robotech fandom. And now, Dr. Who, um, the Big Finish is a company for those of you who don't know, who do Dr. Who audio adventures. And the tagline is Sweet Love Story. And David Richardson, producer there, 
has an incredible knack of putting things and places and people together. And I happened to be over there for another big finished job. And he said, what are you doing in two weeks? They had a role that was going to happen anyway, mm-hmm. where uh, I, I, for the nemesis of Doctor Who, and it was the seventh doctor, Sylvester McCoy, yep. who is so fantastic. Yes. Oh. So, Sylvester McCoy is my Clark Gable, really. Oh. He's the greatest. And um, magic. And so I did that role, and we broke the internet. And four seasons later, um, they segued. Uh, is Vienna, who's my character, Vienna is a an impossibly glamorous mercenary assassin with a heart of gold. And Vienna takes on different identities. And, um, <laughs> oh, yes, Vienna's very, very adaptable. And Vienna does all of these fun things because she is a, a she's a bad guy with a heart that's good. And yeah. so if she's hired as a mercenary to take down the good guy, she'll turn it around and take down the bad guy. Interesting. Yes. It's, right. it's pretty, so lawful, pretty, lawful evil. Lawful evil, okay. I guess. Yes, yes. Well, yes. Don't arrest her. And so it's super fun in that British rollicking comedy way. Right. Like it, it's just cheeky and dry and very much of a ride. And then there's great stories, which yeah. are stories that you could not have in any other way because they would cost $300 million to produce. Yes. And the, so we've got this whole intergalactic thing, but people can... Uh, with Big Finish, you get all the music and sound effects and everything else. Mm-hmm. It's just without the visuals, and people play out the visuals in their head. And it's wonderful to be able to picture these fun, really great stories. There's a story about how Vienna, why Vienna is a mercenary assassin. She was a child soldier, and so that brings up all of those issues. Interesting. Child slavery and things like that. And yeah. then there's the hypocrisy of a lot of religion. There's an episode of that. There's one on the falseness of the beauty industry. And there's so many things that are really key. Plus, you get the British comedy. I love working on this show so much. So lately, I've been opposite Eric Roberts as the master. And he is so deliciously evil and so much fun to work with and just so good and uh, so bad and (laughs) magical and just really sharp and he and I have good chemistry so we've done a few box sets of that and as I understand it there may be more ahead but um check out bigfinish.com and the show is called Vienna um I also had the pleasure of working with everybody's doctor Tom Baker and um what a magical man he was is um he's like 85 or something now yeah and the curator oh Tom is like you think he'd be. He's yeah. open and warm and welcoming and very much like the grandfather of of the studio and will sit down with his cane and plant himself and tell stories and oh. you just listen and he knows he's got you right there yep. and it's just that I've had so much fun with this whole team. You know, um, so I'm so glad you mentioned Doctor Who. First of all, my wife and I are currently working our way through the series because we're planning on taking our 15th wedding anniversary this year to the UK. Oh, and, cool. Which should be right in time for the Doctor Who 60th. Okay. So we're going to do the whole Doctor Who oh, yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be great. Oh, that's wonderful. But Doctor Who, we are big, big fans of the show Community. 
Okay. And then see in your yes. in your resume that you play Annabelle Wagner <laughs> in the Inspector Chronicles. Yes. So wait, wait. Yeah, like first of all, do you have knowledge of the of the community movie? And if so, um, tell us now. Thank you. <laughs> So here's the thing. We shot a little bit of that, but it it was never finished. Um, This stuff is expensive. Yeah. So Travis, um, Travis played Doctor Who or kind of the uh, inspector. Inspector Spacetime. Inspector Spacetime. Yes, Yes, of course. On uh, on Community. And he's really made a lot uh, of it since then. He's well-loved. He's got a fan base. Um, Travis is fantastic. And he has written this really fun, like super fun script with uh, Bob Bacardo and uh, some other really wonderful people in it. It just hasn't been financed yet. So if there's anybody out there who wants to make movies uh, and and wants to finance a a little film, it's not incredibly expensive, just more than we've got. And uh, it's already got its fan base. Yeah. It's when you, when, you know, as a casual fan, you kind of hear some of the budget numbers and you're like, really? Come on. No. Mm-hmm. Start doing the math. Like it adds up. Oh, it does fast. add up. Yes. But at the same time, you can make a movie for what the studios usually spend on coffee. Yeah. And literally coffee. Oh, sure. Not oh. donuts. Oh, yeah. It just, I mean, it's, you know, Independent movie making is is hard work, and it's a little goes a long way. Yeah, and looking at you know even even when it comes down to the marketing budgets for you know some you know the the big mainstream films, and you think, are you kidding? That's more than I make in a year, or yeah. that's more than my house, or whatever. And it's just like you know pouring cash into this thing. And here we are in the middle of the writer's strike where the people who actually write these stories, and that's what's so interesting to me. It's like, you know, first of all, I'm a union person. We'll just say that right now. Everyone should be treated fairly in this world. And I wholeheartedly believe in uh, in human rights across the board. Yeah. And for, you know, currently we're in the middle of a writer's strike where they're asking for 2% of, you know, 2% of the the net it's like yeah. so nothing and you compare that to the huge salaries of the people at the top i mean is that really going to affect your well maybe it will in fact it should affect your 38 million dollar a year salary yeah. uh, you know and as a studio head and it's just you know you think well this business should be the most human of businesses because we pretend to be we because we we make stories about the goodness of mankind and the wholeheartedness of of human nature rising the cream rising to the top and the good guys win and the indomitable human spirit yes and how love conquers all and we must be good to each other and then they treat each other and then you know they're just such (coughs) and and so you just go wait what what are we doing like are are you guys really the ones making these stories no the Mm. writers are writing these stories you should actually listen and not be such hypocrites when you're writing the checks yeah so I hope that something happens with with everyone getting a fair deal. AI. I mean, who among us wants to have our oh. jobs taken by AI? And oh, yeah. I'm way off the thing here. Sorry, no, Dana no, no, and no. everyone else who could be, you know, like the <laughs> characters who are wonderful but not human. I, the bottom line is we need to take care of people. And as technology advances, it's so important that we keep in mind 
how we would want to be treated. Do we want to be that person who loses their jobs and can't support themselves and their family yeah. because it's easier to pay or not pay a robot? So yeah. anyway, I, I digress, but... Yeah, I, you know, there's there's so many different aspects to that. And, you know, see the things that are going on hiatus. And, you know, I think it's giving people a, an audience who is more in the know than audiences have ever been because they have access to seemingly so much of the process of of the creation of this art yeah i think they're really getting a good look at some of the uh, some of the gears and some of the levers of like how this stuff comes to be when you find out like oh you mean the reality shows are hanging around yeah those are reality shows yeah news is hanging uh, you know that stuff stays but i saw a breakdown of like okay, this, is this, 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 and this are going to be the first things to go. And you think, well, really, why? It's like, well, here's why. And they kind of laid it out. And so we're really getting a, a behind a, the most in-depth behind-the-scenes look at production yeah. than, than we've gotten in a long, yeah. long time. Yeah, I've learned a few things about, you know, I think we all have, uh, it's going to sound weird, but I think we all have the, the idea that, that um everyone's all set for the rest of their lives sitting by their swimming pools. And it's just not true. It's Lighting cigars with hundred dollar bills. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not true. Yeah. It really isn't. No. I mean, I, I don't want to say too much because everyone out there is a really hardworking person, but it, it's, there's, you know, I know writers on shows that, uh, that are, are paid so little that they, they work other jobs or can't, make ends meet and and so I, I hope the studios will end up being fair in in terms of the strike and I hope everyone out there will keep in mind that it's human beings that we need to take care of on this family and yeah. not cut the bottom line for our uh, for our shareholders really uh, yeah and that's why I brought this up because it's not uh, you know it is about absolutely it is about the writers because th- this is about shows that we love. And it's also about the overall picture of who are we going to become as a society when we have the capabilities to not take care of people, will we still? What are our core values? When you don't have to. Right. What will you do? Right. What are our core values? And that that is based for me, for my understanding, that is based in in one thing, when people don't realize how much fun it is to be good to other people. It really is. It really is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and 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 like it's not like okay, we can do that. No, it's like fun. Yeah. It's really so cool. Yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. When you do something good for somebody, don't you? I mean, science tells us. Research shows you get yeah, an endorphin boost. You yeah. get to celebrate that being good to someone else and and shouldn't we treat each other like we want to be treated and yes so it's super important and i know this is a really tech savvy for the most part group of people that we are you know trek fans mm. so i think it's just important that once again as a, a, you know as we head into this new phase in society that we trek fans lead the way not just with our tech capabilities but with our values yeah I, you know it's, i've had the discussion many times on this show of the Star Wars versus Star Trek. And I've always said it's not a versus. It's there's one, then there's the other. Yeah. Star Wars is very coming of age, learning who you are, breaking away from your parents, becoming your own person in this world. Star Trek is assuming you've already done that. <laughs> right. And like, this is how you approach 
other things and other people in this world. There are the there are other people like you, but different. Yeah. And learning, you know, here's those values. Being able to listen, being able to empathize, being able to help where you can, you know, yeah. and all of those things. It's all so so important. Not we, just being tolerant, but exactly. celebrating, yes. cherishing yes. our differences and being in wonderful awe of how beautiful our differences make the world. Yes. Where would we be if we didn't have the contributions of 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 all of us? And and even that, as I say it, I realize that's a, a kind of selfish place to come from. Where would we be if we didn't have? And don't mean it like that, but it really, when you look at the way, the best way the world works, yeah. it takes all of us to make a beautiful society. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. And it, it, how dare we continue the? Just quite frankly, this country was very much founded on on the legacy of of, of racism and slavery. It was. And so yeah. how can we continue that? How dare we take advantage of people who have less than us? How yeah. dare we value one life more than another? Yeah. Any of us. Yeah. And so I don't even know where I was going with this, but that is the bottom line. I mean, we like, boom, bam, done. Well, if, even if I can uh, jump into that, we, I'm, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, even in Star Trek, Star Trek with New Trek has opened so wide and there is so much diversity in front of and behind the camera yeah. now yeah. more than ever before yeah. and we are better for it we are. As, even as just a franchise and we are better for we are it better for it and let's just let's get this one out of the way right now it's not a zero-sum game hmm. just because we honor people of other colors and abilities and uh, genders and preferences etc that doesn't erase who we are yeah. It has nothing to do with that. And yeah. that is why we need to teach kids of every color and every 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 kind of person. That's why we need to teach every kind of person yeah. their value yeah. and their beauty in the world and the fact that they are cherished and loved and important. And and that is just the truth. Yeah. You are, every single one of you. And we can also use that to realize that that guy gets to say it. And that... And they get to say it. And that girl gets to say it. Yeah. We all should get to say that. Yeah. So, yes. And as you are, you don't have to change yourself to fit whatever it is. Just be you. Just be you. Just be you. Just be you. And allow them to be them. Yeah. Because each of us only gets one life. And you don't want to be told how to live your life. Right. So they don't either. Yeah. Well, that's actually a really great place for us to... To call this, uh, to call this, uh, done, but, um, wait, wait, but we, but, but wait, there's more. Uh, yes. Um, so that's why I founded the coalition. Yes. That's why I founded a pop culture hero coalition. Yes. Which is the first ever nonprofit to use these stories to teach identity in a healthy way, to teach resilience and, and mindfulness mm -hmm. and nonviolent conflict resolution yeah. and self-compassion and self-worth and healthy self-image for all people, for all body types, for everyone. And and from that, we get to learn how to end bullying, racism, misogyny, LGBTQI plus bullying, cyberbullying. From yeah. that, we get to learn how to live in a society in a way where we can all live long and prosper. Yes. I, I wanted to... I wanted to take a step back in that and I wanted to what was the what was the spark for you 
to say, you know what? I got an idea. We're going to start a thing. What, what was the what was the genesis of, well, of that? I'll be really honest. I was in a really, really bad period. I was deeply hurting. I did not want to stay alive. It happened because I was, uh, I had a stalking incident mm-hmm. and it was through a Star Trek fan and I was, um, there was a threat from somebody who threatened to brutally stalk and rape me and kill my son. And it was in the middle of other hard things that were happening. And I, full disclosure, did not handle it well. Mm. And I drank to get through the pain. And I was ragefully angry. And a friend of mine said, if you want to feel better, go help people who have it worse than you. Now, I know a lot of people have it worse than me. But I didn't know anybody who was as angry as me, as ex-gang members, as like gang members. That's what I thought of when I thought, who would be like me that I could talk to right now? Now, you're seeing this little, like this little woman here in a pink dress, smiling the whole time, yeah. talking to you. Yeah. But back then, I was a different person. And I went downtown to Homeboy Industries, and I started working with these kids who have nothing, who are, you know, an hour away from my house, where I live now, and, and who just were born in the wrong zip code. And they, and I... I started working with them and grew to love them. Now, these are kids like actual Crips and Bloods who would have killed each other for fun because of their old Romeo and Juliet rivalries, you know, because of their age-old familial feuds. And they joined gangs in order to stay safe and because they didn't know what else to do with their anger. And I didn't know what to do with my anger. And... I started thinking we should really teach people what to do with their anger mm-hmm. and with their pain and how to navigate life in a way that is really, uh, life hands us stuff that we were never built to, to handle. Yeah. How do we handle grief? How do we handle severe depression, anxiety, loneliness, fear, shame, self-doubt? So about that time, I heard about a little girl named Katie who was bullied for carrying her Star Wars lunchbox to school. And all the boys would follow Katie around and they'd say, you can't like Star Wars, you're a girl. Well, yes, Jenny over here, one of the heads of the con is going, what? Mm. So yeah. I was so going to say, that's making my than, skin crawl. We know better Jeez. than that, don't we, ladies? <laughs> so so um, Katie went home and she cried and she told her mother, Carrie Goldman, I don't want to carry my Star Wars lunchbox anymore. I'm not going to like Star Wars. I'm just going to carry my pink lunchbox. That's it. And so um, Carrie tried to tell Katie, no, you get to be you. And But Katie cried and went to sleep. So Carrie wrote on her blog, if anybody out there has been bullied, and particularly in a, in a, because of gender non-conforming things, mm-hmm. if you could just say a few words of encouragement to my daughter, I would love you know your support. Well, the post went viral. H- hundreds of people... Um, I'm sorry, thousands of people responded uh, uh, online in some way. Hundreds of us wrote directly to Carrie and said, I've been there. I've been bullied. We, um, you know, we love Star Trek. We love science. We love science fiction. We love Star Wars. You get to be who you are and it gets better. And, you know, all of that kind of support. And so Katie kept her Star Wars lunchbox. She was incredibly heartened. There was a hashtag uh, Star Wars Katie or uh, May the Force Be With Katie. Um, Carrie decided to write a book on ending bullying. Harper Collins bought the book. Carrie's a wonderful writer. Um, Katie, um, 
Uh, Carrie asked me to do an interview for her book, so I did. She asked me who else I could put her in touch with. I put her in touch with Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca. So mm-hmm. now Katie, who was bullied in first grade, is friend was friends with the real Chewbacca. Don't f- <laughs> with us. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And of course, unfortunately, we lost Peter, but this yeah. really meant the world to Katie. And so Carrie asked me to get her book into Comic Con, and that's when it all came together. And I said, yes, but let's do more. And so we were the first big bullying prevention outreach at Comic-Con. We brought the United Nations, the uh, Amnesty International, the No Hate Campaign, and other big social justice organizations to their very first Comic-Cons. And then we wrote a curriculum. And um, very long story short, um, this is all since I founded the organization with Carrie in 2013. Ten years later, we are now the mental health organization for YMCA nationwide oh, that's great. for children and parents. So if you walk into any YMCA in the country, if they have a mental health program for children and parents, it's ours. And I, I want to specify mental health here because that's what it is. Mentally healthy people uphold and celebrate each other's human rights. Mm-hmm. It is about mental health. It's yeah. about being secure enough to let the other guy have theirs. And I can wrap this up because I know we've gone long, but I I just want to say that's what it's about. So our our website is popculturehero.org. Again, popculturehero.org. And our social media is at Superhero IRL if you want to find out more about the organization. We've also got a Be Kind campaign where Bill Shatner and countless members of our casts have worn Be Kind shirts. And that's what helped funds our work. And that's at BeKindMerch.org. So you can get the Shatner shirt. You can get the Ken Mitchell shirt. Who We love you, Ken. We love you so much. You can get the shirts that our, the Deep Space Nine cast was wearing or a, 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 any one of a number of others to support this work. And um, like I said, make this a world where we can all live long and prosper. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me thank and you. go into all this stuff. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in 10 Forward. Yay. on Patreon and like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at computerresume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. 
We've probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're gonna find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?